This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are watching as Jesus returns to Nazareth to become a prophet without honor in his hometown. Man, I don't have anything to say before we just blow the spoiler horn and get right into it. I don't know. Do you got anything? Well, I'll just say that my allergies are killing me today. So. <laughs> Tis the season. Uh, also, I will say, uh, as, as Mary uh, has come into this episode and I've had to type Mary... It is apparently very difficult for me to type Mary anymore because I almost always throw a T in there and make it Marty. <laughs> well, the amount of times people have un, you know, unwittingly called me Mary, I guess it balances out the uh, the universe there. Yeah. Well, I'm doing what I can. Uh, so yeah, let's let's just get into it then. The episode starts off with uh, some kids playing. Turns out one of them is Jesus. Another one is Lazarus. Uh, we see Mary and Joseph present. Uh, Mary in her uh, messenger's slash shepherd form, as in like that actress. Uh, Joseph throughout this episode is going to be the same guy. Uh, but in the older Jesus scenes, um, not not like present day Jesus, but like, I don't know how old he's supposed to be in that other, in that flashback, like oh, sure. six or seven, maybe. Uh-huh. Yep. And in that scene, it is the, the Mary that we see normally in, in the, in the series. So, yep. I don't know, kind of playing with the, the timeline and, you know, makeup effects and all that stuff. They're kind of, yep. it's like, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do, but yeah. So we just, we see Jesus as a, as a little baby with, with toys and whatever he's learning to interact with people i don't know it's kind of a cool little scene i like the idea of him and lazarus being connected that early i like that i thought that was all right i could i could picture that they they have such a deep friendship why not i love it yeah and they definitely play into that later like yep uh when when jesus sees lazarus like he's very much seems like an old old friend and not as close with the sisters at that point. It seems like there's just like, oh hey, yep, like yep. oh that's Laz Lazarus's sisters. Yep, like I know who they are, but I'm not close with them like I am with Lazarus. So yep, works out. Um, and then it's just uh, right into the credits. So then we have Jesus arriving at his Ema's home. Uh, she brings him in to eat. They do some small talk stuff while Jesus is washing his own feet. And then he washes his hands, has a, some kind of prayer or blessing. I, I couldn't quite make out what he was saying. Um, so I don't know if you know what that was. Yeah, but. it was a typical hand-washing blessing. And I did catch it, especially the first time I watched, I watched the episode. And it, um, man, something about bringing us to... Uh, special moments. It might have been a holiday. I cannot remember now. I'd have to go back and read. But I did notice that the first go around that would have been months ago. But but yeah, it was a it was a typical Jewish hand washing blessing, and it may have been special for the holiday. I cannot remember whether it was a festival blessing or not. Fair enough. Uh, Jesus comments, "No, James or Jude," and uh, apparently they're off celebrating the holiday in Sepphoris because they want to avoid any potential conflict. 
And uh, yeah, Jesus seems a little disappointed, but understanding. Yeah, catching that family tension that we see in a few different places in the Gospels. I I loved passing comment to uh, the dog. I just loved it's another scene where we see like Jesus's humanity, like he's tired. He's got dirty feet and like it was just very human. But then like he, he comments on whether or not the dog's at the gate. And there was this, you know, it's kind of like commonplace back and forth. And yet you could tell as they're portraying it, like Jesus sees, he doesn't just see people. He sees all of creation. He has a heart for this dog. He noticed that nobody ever noticed it. Like I, I just thought that was um, not just clever, but I thought that was somewhat significant, theologically significant, actually, more than we might care to notice yeah he made a comment that the dog had been there every time he entered the city for like the last 10 years or whatever yep and so it was it was a surprise that he wasn't there um i don't i'm i'm sure if they had actually shown the dog maggie probably would have been pretty upset about that situation but (laughs) (laughs) since they didn't show the dog i think they got away with it oh there we go so yeah so mary is asking for an update on the disciples wants to know about uh, Thomas and Rama and uh, you know all the all the things she's asking about all of them. Then Jesus is surprised uh, as Mary turns around to start sharing stuff that to hear that Lazarus and Mary and Martha are in town for the festival. Well, and not just surprised, Brent, but his line uh, she says, "Guess who's in town?" And he, I love the, I love it. This, I, I just. Yet another passing smirk. And I haven't mentioned Gog Goggles much this season. I've refrained. <laughs> I've restrained myself. And there have been times, but I, but uh, I, this is one, again, one of my favorite lines of, I couldn't tell you. And I, <laughs> a little twinkle uh, in his eye, but I didn't think it was because, <laughs> like, well, I know because I'm God. It was more like, I couldn't tell you. Who, who is it here? And I, I like that line. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is funny. I would, I have to imagine. On just a practical level, if Jesus was doing God goggles all the time, that's exactly what I thought of in this scene. In this scene, like nobody it, could ever surprise exactly. him with anything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like how obnoxious would that be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, any question he asks would make like no sense. Like, where's James and John? Or just about any question that he really, truly like is asking because he really wants to know would be totally asinine because it would be like, well, obviously he knows everything, so. That spins out pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is funny, though. I didn't think about it in that in that way as I was going through it. <laughs> uh, so good. Um, so, yeah. So then Jesus gets a little serious and he says that he needs to see the box to which at this point, Marty, I say, what's in the box? Uh, yeah, yeah. A reference I was not familiar with the first time I saw this season um, from the movie Seven. Which, uh. Uh, uh, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Okay. Uh, it's not exactly a wholesome. It's like, it's like when you reference Rome, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're like, this show is really accurate. Maybe too accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah. Jesus goes on to say, like, yeah, this might be the last time I visit home before my time comes. And obviously Mary's having a hard time with this, you know. Yeah, not only is she having it, like, she's really having a hard time with this. And and as I'm watching the scene, I'm like, oh, Mary, you were the one that started this. You were at the wedding. And you were like, he he was telling you it's not time. And and he he asked you if you were like sure that you were ready, because this is where it ultimately leads. And and then he and then like as I'm thinking that Jesus is a much more compassionate grace-filled, merciful line where he just uses the exact same words that she used at the wedding, which was, if not now, those were the exact same words she used to him when he was at the wedding in Cana. Um, if you remember in season one there, Brent, but I, I love oh, yeah. that. I think we've seen that several times with him um, using people's words like, okay, so you said this, like, here's how it plays out in this situation. Yeah, and yeah. Help, helping people see like, there's there's usually two sides to every coin. Yep. So, yep. But that does come up. Um, let's see. Well, before we get to the other the other part, uh, Jesus goes to the other room uh, to prepare to sleep. He makes makes a comment to the the sheep that are there. <laughs> Calls them Cain and Abel. <laughs> yeah, just great. I know. And I love that they had like we've talked before. I think even recently when we did our bonus Christmas episodes this last um, this last year, Brent, I. We talked about like there are these different takes. Is it a cave? Is it a is it a house? And we've talked at least a few times about how a, a very common house style. And you've actually seen this when you've been over in Israel at some of the some of the places where they've tried to reconstruct a uh, a, a town. Katsurin would be a village where we go and we see this. But you you would you would keep the animals there in that lower floor, that lower floor, or at least a. Uh, one of the rooms, one of the courtyard or entryways or whatever would serve as a stable. So his room is kind of up above that and he kind of has to go through this stable area. So just from a historical perspective, I love how they depicted that because that would fit a lot of different houses that you can see um, in that part of history, in that part of the world uh, in their day. And it could, you know, again, that could be the kind of setting that you could imagine um, potentially for a Christmas setting or, an, or a Christmas story. So anyway, the passing comment. Yeah. And it's just kind of like a suspended platform over the area that the animals are in. Like a loft. Yeah. Yeah. Loft. Uh, yeah. There's a word for that. <laughs> uh, nice work. Um, so yeah, so he goes, he climbs up there and uh, he sees the box um, sitting there on the table. The box, I don't know if there's anything to it. The box had like an eight pointed star in the middle of it and two six pointed stars on either side of it. Oh, wow. I don't know if those symbols mean anything. You, you really paid attention. Well, I actually paused it because I was like, Oh wait, what's going on? Yeah, sure. I've seen very, very similar designs. It's almost identical. I could actually show you uh, pictures and photos of, uh, of ossuaries. When he first grabbed it, I thought it was an ossuary because that's where I've seen those same designs. I don't know if it was a way of marking family or just a geometric aesthetic design, but I've seen very, very similar, almost exact um, designs on, on all kinds of stuff in museums. And so very, when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, that's totally historically perfectly placed and accurate. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, there's so many details like that where it's like, I'm, I'm guessing they did the research and they have something that they're basing that off of, but it's not like, yep. They don't make a comment on every single thing that they have in there. So it's yep. just, you know, maybe one of those details. Yep. 
So next up, we see a big crowd. They're playing music. They're dancing. They're playing games. They're you know doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, at some point in the episode, they uh, they mention that they're there for Rosh Hashanah. Right. Uh, so I guess that's what's happening. Yep. Tell me about that. Yeah. The yeah the Jewish New Year. Um, only it may not be the New Year. So there's this huge discussion. Like right at this point in history, you have these competing schools and i didn't even i shoot i didn't even put these pieces together and learn this until the last few years like much more recently in my my own life and my own journey but but rosh hashanah is what you call the holiday when you're holding to the more babylonian talmud um and and then from a more and and the reason you do that is because the new year, the Jewish new year, starts with Rosh Hashanah, the, the head Rosh, head of Hashanah, the year, head of the year. So that's their Jewish new year. Only according to Torah, it wasn't the new year because that was supposed to be in the spring connected to Passover. And so you have these conf- these these conflicting accounts and Judaism was conflicted. And we've talked before about the Essenes and... I think even later, maybe in session six at some point, we've talked about how the Essenes may even slightly even be misnamed. Like maybe Essene isn't even the name that we would use with them, but they were known as the sons of Zadok and they called themselves the sons of light. And the reason that they called themselves the sons of light is because they were the true priesthood that had been supplanted by the Herodian, that corrupt Sadducean chief priesthood, that Herodian priesthood, and the Herodian priesthood operated by the lunar calendar of Babylon, but the original priesthood operated by, they would have said, the solar calendar of Torah. And so they called themselves the sons of light up and against the sons of darkness, which would have been the corrupt priesthood. So you had this priesthood that claimed to be pure and right. And then, and, and behind all of that are two different takes on Judaism, which new year, which Talmud, which there's often two different camps and often it will be Judean and Galilean. Now the Galilee was settled by a bunch of people that returned from Babylon. So would they have used a Babylonian Talmud or were they trying to get away from that and settle? So it's hard to know. It's hard to know which calendar because if, and here's why it matters, because if Jesus would have rejected, as the Essenes did, as the sons of Zadok did, if he would have rejected that Babylonian worldview, then he wouldn't have called it Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah. He would have called it Yom Teruah, Day of Trumpets. That's what the Torah calls it. This is the Day of Trumpets. Um, and I've tried to change my own language to start calling it Day of Trumpets just to be consistent with with Torah. And yet Judaism today follows the Talmud. The Talmud is what's connected more. The Babylonian Talmud is what seemed to, in general, win the day. And Judaism ended up having to kind of synchronize these two worldviews as it moved forward. But long and complicated uh, answer um, to if we just say, yeah, it's Rosh Hashanah. I'm going to have a bunch of emails and people going, why do you call it Rosh Hashanah? I know that because I've gotten them already. And I'd love to acknowledge <laughs> the fact that many people would say Yom Teruah and reject uh, Rosh Hashanah as the name for the day, but that is the holiday, the festival of trumpets, the, the beginning of the high holidays and potentially the start of a new year is how they are framing it in. Um, and the chosen is taking a very historically um, 
rooted stance in doing so. It's just that some people might argue that it should be seen differently or that Jesus would have saw it differently. And we just don't know historically. So there you go. Well, and now having heard that, I wish I had paid closer attention to the scene because I don't remember who actually says Rosh Hashanah in the episode. I know it's mentioned at some point, but I don't, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I think it's a I few times. You, Marty. Yeah. I think it's I a... couldn't tell you who says it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think it's said a few times. Might even said in the previous episode when he says, I think I'm going home for Rosh Hashanah. Mm. Um, but they also have other things like later in the scene, they'll be dipping apples in honey, which is a definitely a modern practice. And they do this all throughout the chosen where they take modern Jewish practice and they, they, they bring it into the story. Now it's been practiced for a very long time and it's entirely possible that it was practiced during Jesus's day. We just don't know. And there's so much speculation. Um, I personally love it because that's how I look at things like the Passover Seder and all kinds of stuff. I, I bring as much of that as I can, unless it's just not historically plausible, which seems to be, uh, similar to what the chosen is doing. And maybe there's historical evidence that they did do things like apples and honey or that Rosh Hashanah was the understanding of the Galilee. And I just don't know it. That's entirely uh, possible as well. Well, I don't know why anybody wouldn't do apples and honey, Marty. I don't know why you wouldn't. (laughs) I'm on board for that. Um, So as we get into the scene, Jesus and Mary are arriving. Um, They're, they're in like a field or something, I guess it's like a central gathering place basically. And, uh, Dina's there and she's like, Oh Jesus, I didn't know you were here. Uh, by the way, I have been, you know, kind of sharing the story about water to wine. Sorry if anybody like comes up and asks you to do the same thing. And he's like, well, that was for a special occasion. The thing, the thing I really liked in this whole scene as he's coming in here is just, you get this sense of his place in the community. Like he has a hometown, he has a home community, like that, that these whole scenes where they're at the celebration, like it just feels different. It's not the same Jesus and it's not the same crowd and it's not the same interaction as when he's in Capernaum. Um, and, and I really like that part of this. I think it captured the fact that this is, this is his place. He's from Nazareth, which is going to play a big part in the episode. Yeah. And you know, we always talk about like, okay, so, you know, we see Jesus, uh, in the temple at 12, we see him born, we see him at 12 and then we don't see him again until he's 30 or whatever. It's like, well, what was he doing in the meantime? It's like, well, living life and building these kinds of relationships where everybody in town knows him and, and has this history with him to some extent. So I like it. Um, Lazarus shows up at that point and, you know, they have, you know, very, uh, Lazarus is the one who sneaks up behind him and like covers his eyes, I think. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then, uh, you know, Jesus acknowledges the sisters, but doesn't seem like, you know, like he did, he doesn't give them like a huge bear hug like he does Lazarus. Right. So it's like, again, we see to whatever extent, like Jesus and Lazarus grew up together and like really grew up together. Like they're just so close. Yep. Mary, the sister Mary starts asking about the miracles and, and Lazarus is like, Oh, you shouldn't say that out loud, but, but for real Jesus, what about the miracles? So, yeah. uh, and then uh, Rabbi Benjamin comes up. I guess he's the the local local rabbi, local yep. synagogue leader. I got I got like kind of mixed vibe there. They mix a lot of I don't know if mix. They blur the lines where I typically would draw harder lines historically, and just my own opinion. Um, 
But it's very possible if Nazareth was as small as maybe we think it might have been or could have been. Um, that you, I mean, you would have a local rabbi. Uh, that would be very common. There, there would be a local rabbi. The synagogue is usually run by a Hazan. That Hazan is the is the synagogue ruler, like Jairus we've talked about in Capernaum. I don't know if maybe there's been evidence that if the synagogue was small enough, maybe the rabbi doubled as, or maybe it's very possible. You know, honestly, when I think about the scenes, there's probably both. They just didn't introduce us to, um, to the synagogue ruler. We just got met because I, I think the synagogue ruler could have easily been in that scene, standing with the with the guy who hands Jesus the scroll or even maybe being the one who hands Jesus the scroll later. So yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, Nazareth would have had a rabbi. Um, Many places might've had more than one, um, but they definitely had a local rabbi that helped lead the spiritual community. And we've talked before about how they don't have a, they don't have a dominant role in the synagogue. Like the actual, in this scene, they're going to be there for a holiday, like, like for that Yom Teruah celebration. Yeah, and that's what I was maybe thinking. Yeah, he's leading the service because it's not your... If it was a typical Shabbat service, um, historically, in my opinion, he would not have led in any particular way. He would have been there. He would have been a resource. He would have been sitting probably in a place of prominence to be able to be somebody they look to. But that is completely community run for a special gathering and a special service, like for a holiday or a festival, it's very possible that they could have operated differently, which is why he's teaching and inviting Jesus to teach and all that kind of stuff. It's definitely a a take. Yeah, but there's definitely some tension there. I guess, you know, this is the rabbi that Jesus was studying under as he was going through um, Beit Sefer. And I get, did, did it say that he didn't go on? Or he did go to Bait Midrash. I don't know. No, Lazarus says, and I even made a note of that, because that's, again, I, I think I would agree with that take. That would be my assumption. But some some would assume the opposite. But Lazarus says, you know, we know he didn't go to Bait Midrash, and we know that he's not, like, official, official, and we know, but, I mean, he did, he did, uh, he, he called it, what did he call it? The rabbi called it when he was standing in synagogue at Torah school. I taught Jesus when he was in Torah school. Um, that would be Bet Sefer, I would imagine. Um, uh, so yeah, all of that, all of that fit my assumption and la- I, li- I like how Lazarus points out, um, yeah, he didn't do that. He didn't follow the normal track. Yeah. I think that's probably, probably spot on. Well, and is that maybe why people were even more amazed at his questions when he was in the temple? Because like this guy didn't even get out of Bet Sefer. Yeah. If they, yeah, if he didn't have, and the question would be, would that, could they have even told in the temple? Because you probably don't. Well, sure. They, yeah. they probably would have been surprised to find out he didn't go to Beit Midrash by the sounds of what he was doing in the temple at twelve. But yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I do think I do think that's behind everybody's amazement and all of those things. Um, throughout this scene, they're very positive about Joseph and Mary, which I don't historically have a problem with. It could have been quite the opposite potentially. Um, they definitely took a take on Joseph and Mary being very very well respected. In Nazareth, um, how that would have connected to his birth story, or what the community thought about um, his legitimate his birth legitimacy was he a, was he a mamzer was he you know was he illegitimate? Um, how did the community see that in Nazareth? It's hard to know, um, but yeah, I, I I appreciate some of those passing comments in that scene. And I don't know if this is even culturally possible, but I feel like I could see a situation where 
you know, the initial story comes out and they're rejected as Jesus is born, but then they, they stick around and they're like, no, we're going to prove ourselves. And they just, you know, by the time Jesus is 30, they've, they've, you know, established themselves as the kind of people that, that we see here. Yeah. 100%. And Jewish tradition talks about what was called the Mamzer exception because Judaism had to explain how David can be king of Israel. Like he was the grandchild of a Moabitess. Like their children can't enter the assembly of the Lord to the 10th generation. So how is David the king of Israel? Um, so they had to come up with a way to explain that. And they had what they called the Mamzer exception, which was by, by, um, what was the phrase by, uh, by the course of righteousness or something to do with by righteousness. If, if you demonstrate by faith and righteousness, if your if your life is such that it is so, it just transcends like that mamzer status and that mamzer stigma can be overlooked probably by a formal like community ruling and such. So it's very, very possible, obviously with somebody like Jesus. And if Joseph and Mary were respected in that way in the community, that Jesus may have started with that status and over time completely lost it. Who knows? That's completely plausible historically. Uh, so then we see Lazarus trying to talk Rabbi Benjamin into letting Jesus share a teaching at the synagogue later. I love Jesus's irritation with Lazarus and how he gets him in trouble. He's like, you're still, (laughs) you're still bugging the rabbi and I'm getting blamed for it. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm assuming, you know, being a holiday, especially he would have had something specific planned. Yeah. You would definitely imagine. So I, I did appreciate that. Like you can see the tension and you can see the angst, but absolutely this rabbi has something planned and absolutely he, uh, yeah. And, and he, and that's not to say in a Jewish culture, he didn't do his thing and Jesus did his, like they would have talked for hours and hours if they wanted to about Torah. So he might've done both, but, um, or had plans at least to do both, but his, his willingness to let, even though he kind of seems a little tense and stuffy and kind of like frustrated, like it's still, there's still some level of openness and humility, uh, within their cultural setting with, especially with Jesus, who's, obviously getting a reputation and, you know, a little concerned he might be provocative. And, you know, I, I thought that was well played on his part. Yeah. I could see it like a, well, he was not that great or annoying, or I don't know exactly what his perspective was, but he didn't enjoy him as a student, but he's like, well, I've been hearing a lot of things. So maybe let's see what this guy has to say. You know, I could, I could definitely see that. Yep. Um, so then they transition into Jesus, uh, joining a game, with Lazarus and a couple of the guys uh, throwing a ball around in a square, and Jesus is terrible at this game. <laughs> loved it. I, I won't mention the phrase, but I loved it. We see his humanity. We see, I just, I just, it was obviously they had fun with that in the episode, and I enjoyed that part of it. Well, that wouldn't be God goggles anyway. That would be like God dexterity. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see his divine D and D character sheet. I want to. Let's see his stats. Uh, it doesn't have to be D and D. You can just be dexterous. That's you know, just a normal, normal trait of oh, you know, life. Um, okay, so then we then we go into the synagogue and Rabbi Benjamin prays. Uh, they introduce Jesus. Um, what was the other thing that happened in between there? He prays, and then there was something that happened. 
Oh, the shofar. Oh, sure. Yep. Shofar. And then uh, Jesus is introduced. Jesus takes the scroll, opens it up. Um, lots of interesting little details there as far as like how he handles it. Yeah. And honestly, he doesn't he doesn't open it up because I was curious what they were going to do there. I watched like, do they just put it down and then he opens and finds the passage? But the person took the scroll, opened it up, and Jesus did not adjust it. So it was opened. Oh, and, I, okay. and I did wonder, like, I wanted to do some more research, and I couldn't find anything in a cursory cursory, I mean, very brief look um, in preparation for this episode. But I was curious, because we talked before on the episode, I've never considered that it was during a, we're not told it's a holiday when Jesus goes to Nazareth. We're not told it's a festival. It very well could be. I've actually had somebody email me last year and take this position. I think it was Roger actually. And and I was like, ah, oh, I think you're making, you're making these huge arbitrary leaps. And then chosen goes and does the same thing. So maybe there's more to it than I have given it credit for. Um, but he's there on, on Yom Teruah. If he's not there on Yom Teruah, I always assumed it was a Parashan Haftarah reading, but Jesus was just there because it had been it, his Haftarah, it was his turn in the community to read Haftarah, the prophets. Um, and we don't have any version of the Haftarah lectionary um, where that passage is read. So the idea that it could be a festival reading was intriguing to me. That could explain that. Because if not, Jesus went and found that passage to read it on purpose. But if it's a festival, and I was trying to find if there was any evidence that that passage would be read at that festival time. And it's very possible. I I, I don't know. I could not confirm that it was. Um, but that's why the, the scroll could be open to that very passage Um when he goes, it's not like he's surprised when he stands up there. He, he seems to know and not because of goggles, but he seems to know this is going to be the passage that's up to be read tonight. Um, so I, I thought that was a very interesting way to pull those details together and, and could be very historical. I, I'm not sure that if it is, but it, it absolutely could be. So, yeah. Okay. So he doesn't open it, but he does, uh, he has like a little a little tool or something. I don't know. Yeah. A little reading. So they have a little reading pointer and I've never been able to tell if they had that in Jesus's day or not, but very shortly after Jesus's day with at least within a century or two, um, and it very likely could have had it in Galilee as well. You have this little pointer and you use the pointer to follow your Hebrew words to keep your place in the reading. Um, and yeah, yeah, he kissed it. The, The scroll, I thought that was very, uh, appropriate and historical. And then they have him sit in Moses's seat, which I'm sure there are probably people, that's not how I understand Moses' seat functioning, but uh, there's probably definitely, there could be historical evidence to that. And there's definitely people that think that that's what the seat was used for. It does seem to fit what Jesus says about the Pharisees. They sit in Moses' seat would fit how they depict it in the synagogue. It's not how mm-hmm. I understand it happening historically, but I thought that was interesting too. Was that chair brought out after he read or was it there the whole time? Uh, you at, you say that and now I have this vague memory of, I don't know if it was brought all the <laughs> way out or if they just took it from wherever it was to sit it there so that he could sit yeah. in it. I don't right. know, but yeah. So he does sit down and he says, you know, the scripture is fulfilled today. Um, and Rabbi Benjamin asks about the vengeance party. He's like, why yes. did you stop before you got so the vengeance? Good. I love that they included that. Love it. Yeah. And Jesus is like, well, the vengeance is not today. Didn't love that. Uh, <laughs> didn't love that as much. I, I still wrestle with that idea and that concept. That was the idea that Ray had when he taught me, um, vengeance is for the future. It's obviously going to fit with a whole lot of Christian theology. 
Don't know if it fits with my theology or not, but uh, didn't love that part, but I loved everything that led up to it. Well, you know, everything, you know, including for us viewers, I guess, begins to grow tense. <laughs> That's right. People start Absolutely. asking questions. Yeah. Um, so Luke 4, the text of that is where um, one of these lines comes from, and it mentions the proverb, physician, heal yourself, the title of this episode. Uh, as I mean, I... I did a, a brief search and couldn't find anything. It's not one of the Proverbs. Right. So do you have any idea where this is from? Yeah, I think it's a cultural. We've always assumed it's a cultural reference, uh, a cultural proverb, um, maybe within a Jewish culture, maybe just within a wider Greco-Roman culture, but not coming, unless it's, there's some Midrashic reference that I'm not familiar with either. It's not coming directly from the Proverbs. It seems to be more of a, a cultural proverb, something that, People would have said a lot, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I wondered if it was like somehow a reference or um, something speaking against like the Asclopian or something. I don't know. Yeah. Not necessarily that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, either way, uh, there it is. Um, so Jesus mentions Elijah and the widow and Elisha and Naaman um, talking about like, you know, this, this message is, uh, you know, we see Gentiles like doing things that not even the Jews are doing. And Mary, we see Mary starting to grow really worried as everyone else grows even more angry. And uh, Rabbi Benjamin calls Jesus out as a false prophet and Lazarus tries to intervene, but everyone's like, well, uh, you know, they've made this, this claim. So we got to do this and blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, then Jesus comes out, um, a Rabbi Benjamin approaches him something about, uh, going against the law of Moses. And Jesus says, I am the law of Moses. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there were, there were so many things, um, in this scene that there, there were, there were definitely a handful of things in this scene that, that bothered me, but I don't want that to give this necessarily an overwhelming negative take on this scene. This scene could have easily, easily, easily been done in a way that I just hated it. Um, I mean, the chosen as a whole, I, w the reason I was so unoptimistic when we started three seasons ago was you can easily depict these stories so draped in Christian theology, um, that I, I basically look at a scene and I'm just like, no, that's not how it happened. That doesn't represent the history or the essence of the text. And there were a handful of things that, that bugged me in this, in this scene, but not in a way where I couldn't get there. Like, there was also a lot of things I loved about this scene, like they made the focus. There was this growing, I wish personally, that the initial response would have been more, we talked about in session three, more generous. Like the text says they spoke well of him when he claims that it's fulfilled in their hearing. The Bible says they spoke well of him. So there is a time where their initial response in synagogue is, ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, you go, Jesus. Like, we're here for it. And they never quite have that in this scene. They're, they're, they're already tense the moment he kind of starts getting into it. So I wish there would have been a little bit more of that. But they did catch what I feel like the essence of the tension is, which is usually not grasped in a typical teaching and not portrayed, which is you want to affirm your place in God's plan, but God wants to affirm the outsider's place in his plan. And 
that part they got and I liked. I liked the statement, I am the the book of Moses. We made a big a big case in that that is essentially the gospel of John's point from a Jewish perspective seven times in that gospel is that Jesus is Torah. From the opening chapter John 1 through all the I am statements, the point that's being made there in a very Jewish, directly Jewish way, a highly Jewish way, is that Jesus is Torah incarnate, wrapped in flesh like that. That's a statement that was very theologically accurate to me um, and and contextually uh, appropriate. I, I love that statement. Um, it The whole the way the scene closes for me. And this wasn't, this could have been done a whole lot worse. It was a little supersessionist, a little anti-Semitic, just, and, and not, it wasn't overly so. I know they have Rabbi Sobel on their team, like helping them think through those things and the Jewish presence there. I don't, I don't disagree with the essence of what was being said, that, that any, when you are a part of the religious people, when you claim to be a part of God's people, God's family, that religious expression, that you have to be willing to, to recognize and realize your own need for God. You can't take this elevated, I'm the center of, I'm the spiritual center of gravity. I'm, I do love the essence of that argument. I felt like the way it was pitched, particularly by a Christian production, aimed at a Christian audience felt a little, a little less about, it just was a little too pointed at Jews to me in my taste. Um, but anyway, I, I digress, but that was, I, I kind of left there going, ah, if we just would have slightly shaped those statements just a little differently to make it less about Judaism, Judaism, and a little bit more about us as God's people, because we all struggle with that. Christians struggle with that. Shoot. I mean, that's that's not a Jewish struggle because they're Jews. That's a religious struggle because we're religious. Like that any like I've every church I've ever been a part of would struggle with that struggle. So I just I just felt like it was a little pointed when it could have been shaped, but never I, I'm getting somewhat picky, and yet that that point. I don't mind getting picky on because I think it, it it certainly matters at times. Yeah, and I don't think somebody like Dallas or probably most of the people on the production team, like I mean, he's even said like not everyone necessarily is is a believer or whatever. But I think anyone who is a believer would readily acknowledge, yeah, we all struggle. So, I, yes, you know, right, correct. I'm gonna I'm gonna give them all the benefit of the doubt on that. It's just the way that it it, it comes off. Correct. Um, right. 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 Perhaps you know whatever. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think it was intentional at all. I think we unintentionally have this stuff. Um, shoot, next week I have a meeting with the uh, uh, one of the productions with the Society of Post Supersessionist Theology, like a whole group of scholars that gets together to talk about how do we become aware of how supersessionism just kind of bleeds its way into and grows in the middle of our faith expression and our theology. So it, it's certainly not intentional. Um, when it is intentional, that's really bad. Uh, it's just a part that we sure. we sure. <laughs> we we unintentionally do without even thinking about it, and that's why I think it's 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 good and healthy to talk about it. Yeah. So going on from there, Jesus is taken out to a cliff. Um, I'd be curious to know uh, what uh, what the geography of this is, what what cliff this might be. Um, if there's if there's one near Nazareth that this could be, there is there is a couple. Um, 
and some of them have some pretty big claims made about them. You can imagine, <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, Nazareth today is just a hot mess. I I do not like to go to Nazareth today. It's a huge modern day city. It takes forever to get into. It takes even longer to get out of. Yeah. Um, can anything good come from Nazareth? Um, that's a joke. Uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> and, you say, and you say no in this case, <laughs> not anymore anyway. <laughs> but yeah, but there's a there are a couple different. Um, Places we don't have a lot of archaeology because of the modern situation there, but but there are there are options, multiple options. Okay. Well, they they move to uh, well. Uh, so first, Rabbi Benjamin lays out all the claims against Jesus uh, once again, and then they move to throw him over the edge, and Jesus kind of like steps forward and like looks at them all, and then it's just like this isn't happening today, and he just walks right through him, and nobody. Nobody yeah. stops him. Yeah, and I want to say I want to say Jesus calls their bluff. I don't think they're really bluffing. I don't yeah, know what the no. right. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like there's this mixture of him knowing it's like like having this this prayerful sense. Like he kind of knows where God has him. He knows what God's up to. He knows this isn't it. And again, it's different than how we talked about it or depicted it in our study, but it also isn't far off either. So at least it wasn't, I remember when we started heading to the cliff, I was like, Oh man, are they going to have him like magically hover through the crowd as everybody tries to grasp him and they fall on there? Like, but they, they didn't. So I was like, man, okay. They, again, they kind of struck this middle ground that wasn't as extreme as my position, but also wasn't a far upfield from how I understand it happening either. And I, I like that. And it totally makes sense. Like these people all know Jesus that well, like, of course they're going to, yep. like they're going to have their feelings of principle and like, well, we believe this and you said this. And so we have to do this like that, that like very literal interpretation of the situation. But then when it comes out there and Jesus like looks at them, then they just can't actually bring themselves to do it because they know him and they love him. Yeah. And I think that's, it's not like you said, it's not that he's calling a bluff. It's that he knows, like he, he, he knows like you're, you're going to have to grab me. Like you're, you have, like, if you're really going to do this, like when I try to walk away, you, you're, you can, you can grab me and throw it like hog tie me and throw me from the cliff and stone me. But that's, you're not quite ready to do that. You're mad enough and I won't be coming back here. But I think he knows, like, you're not sure enough that you're ready to to actually stop me from walking out of here and and walk out of there. He does. Yeah. One of the scenes or one of the lines in the synagogue was uh, Rabbi Benjamin saying, like, are you are you saying that you are this or are you just saying that as a prophet of God? So it's almost like he's trying to, like, give him a way to. Right. Oh, yeah. Make these types of claims without necessarily going as far as he actually is. Yep. I, I actually appreciated that. And like what you're referencing in the synagogue, there was a couple times by a couple different characters where they essentially give him a door that if you're trying to get out of trouble, it's going to be easy to step through. And Jesus doesn't step through it. And I, I really appreciated that part of how they depicted that. He wasn't just trying to keep the peace. He was he was trying to make sure he said what he wanted to say. I love that. I love that line it's right before they take him outside 
And uh, Lazarus like, he didn't actually say that. And Jesus is like, well, it's what I meant. Yeah, that's right. He's <laughs> like, you're, you're not, not helping. helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did not use those words. It's what I meant. Jesus, you're not helping. Uh, so, so Jesus walks away and now he's alone. He comes to Joseph's tomb. And I, I guess during the whole previous scene, like, I don't know if Mary was distraught or they didn't let her go out there or I don't know what was going on, but apparently she wasn't there and didn't know where he went exactly because later she, she comes and finds him and is like, is surprised or relieved that he's okay. I don't know exactly what, what was going on, but apparently Mary did not see the whole thing unfold out at the cliff is what I got the impression of. Right. Yep. But Jesus is standing there and he has the flashback to Joseph working. Jesus is learning to read. Of course it's Isaiah 61. It's perfect. Um, Joseph is explaining, he's like, Hey, you know, wood isn't necessarily, and I I love this little bit. He's like, wood, wood was not the best uh, way to do this. You're going to learn how to work with all kinds of stuff. You're going to be doing stone. Um, they joke around a little bit about some stuff. And then Joseph gives Jesus the box with the bridle. Um, he says it's been passed on for 40 generations, uh, which I, of course is a great number. I don't know if anyone did the math on that, if they are trying to say it is literally 40 generations or if they're just using that nice number. I believe so. And I think that's part of what Matthew does with his genealogy as he shows the, is it 11, 17, 11? No, it's it's three sets of 14. Is it three sets of 14? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that goes back to Adam, right? Um, one, I think Luke does. I believe... I believe Matthew's, yeah, Matthew starts at Abraham, I believe. Oh, but not Exodus. I get, I get your point. 14, 14, 14. I mean, then all the way we talk about Exodus. Yep. I think it's it's supposed to be close. I do believe it's supposed to be close. I believe 40 generations is, I've heard somebody else make a teaching about that before. You're right. Matthew does start at Abraham. Yep. But we talk about like the 400 years of yep. slavery. Not being beginning yeah, with Abraham. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. So, you know, either way. Yep. Um, but yeah, 40 generations. So Joseph would be the 41st and Jesus would be the 42nd. I don't know. That brings it 14, 14, 14. Yeah. They also skip one. Now we're getting into details, but I do believe Matthew had to skip <laughs> a grandfather or something to make that genealogy work if I've been, if I have my uh, details correct. So sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's off by one error is the, yeah, yeah, is yeah. the common yeah, problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they have some other sentiments, uh, but then the, the flashback ends right as Mary arrives, uh, Lazarus is with her, has Jesus' bag, is it all packed up, everything's ready to go. And, um, he's like, you know, I'm probably never going to come back here and see this, uh, tomb again. And you should probably go away as well for a little while. Let things calm down. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I, do, I feel like this bridle is probably coming back to be used in the triumphal entry. I'm assuming. Oh gosh, I can't. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to trust that they're going to. If that's the case, I didn't even think about that, Brent. Oh well, I mean, I feel like Jesus has it in his bag at this point. Uh, I mean, I'm going to trust them. They've done other things so well. I'm going to trust that <laughs> that's where they're headed. Oh man. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, why else, why else would you set this up? I, I don't know. know. Oh, just giving me a gut punch there. <laughs> I feel like Jesus is going to pull it out of his bag. And he's like, oh, give it give it to the disciples. <laughs> like, okay, go to the other town. You're going to find somebody. They're going to have a mule just standing around. 
yeah. or a donkey just standing around use this yeah the whole element the whole element itself just the bridle itself is such an interesting i'm not going to say good i'm not going to say bad it's interesting at this point for me season three it's an interesting thing to work in it's not done poorly at this point uh, obviously not in the text it's just a uh, yeah they they have to have something something like that that they're that they're going for of all the things you could choose to work in that was uh, it had me a little like okay all right the fact that it would survive 40 generations a leather bridle okay like i have so many questions about it i'm not i mean that, that's I'm not a perturbed miracle hanukkah situation but, you know yeah exactly yeah yeah without being like vacuum sealed in some museum somewhere but it's just been in a box okay I'm good. Well, and I would imagine, you know, by the time somebody gets sentimental enough about it to save it, like it's probably going to be pretty well used at that point. Yeah. too. So <laughs> I would imagine so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they've been conditioning the leather for all that time, putting olive oil on it, <laughs> making it go. That's right. That's right. Um, I also am just I don't, I don't know. I don't I wouldn't say bothered, but I'm fascinated by their pronunciation of mule as mule. Yep. So I need I need one of those like I think it's Vanity Fair. They do those YouTube videos where it's like an accent <laughs> expert breaks down the breaks down the accents of the chosen. It's like I need one of those. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I need to understand. I always picture myself uh, for those that don't know, uh, Yehuda is the name of my tour guide that's always there. So I always hear something like that and I'm like, is that how Yehuda would say it? And 90% of the time I'm like, yep, that's exactly how he would say it. They got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure it's coming from somewhere. I don't I don't think they're just like letting the actors make it up. So, yeah, yep. You know. Yeah. Well, that does it for this episode, Marty. I think it's good. So we're coming in just slightly shorter than the runtime. I do feel like that synagogue scene, we could have broken that down line by line. Yeah. Like there was just so much stuff packed in there. Yep. Uh there but, was, you know. That's just too much time. So I try to keep things moving a little bit. Even even with me attempting to keep things moving, we're still <laughs> We're still sitting you do here good work. 50 minutes. You do good work, Brent Billings. You know, do it, do what we can. There's, I, I feel like there's going to be ever more to talk about as things, you know, culminate into all these different ideas. So, yep. It's, uh, it's a fun conversation, fun wrestling match, fun way to, uh, learn about different things. I mean, I didn't know about the, the whole Rosh Hashanah conversation, like, Yep. It's a good way to get into these conversations and learn things that you aren't aware of. So, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. So, that does it for this episode. Uh, you can go to bamadiscipleship.com. Uh, we've got show notes there. Uh, check out the, the groups page if you want to get into a discussion group, the events page if you want to join us for. Uh, I mean, there's no live stream QA is going on right now, but you can find out when the next one is going to be and other stuff that's happening. You can find that all on the events page. Uh, contact page is the best way to get in touch with us. All that stuff, BayamonSapShop.com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymon Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.